hello, Choose Love movement fans and friends. Welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer no-cost, lifespan, next-generation, social, emotional, and character development programming that provides a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in your life and leads all of us to flourishing. The Choose Love movement is now in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country and over 100 countries. Today, we have a very special guest. We've already been talking, and I think this whole thing is just going to be the podcast from like the first minute because you're so amazing to talk to. I ran Nazario, who is the founder, president, and CEO of the Peace Center in Connecticut, uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut, actually, our capital city. I met Iran a few weeks ago um, as his Peace Center awarded the Choose Love Movement a 2020 Peace Hero Award for our efforts to affect positive change within our world. And uh, I really appreciate you calling attention to our movement and the availability of our resources Iran. Iran works to prevent violence in Hartford and other communities around the state by educating the public and raising awareness on how to keep our communities nonviolent and avoid the pitfalls associated with gang life. And Iran, gang life is something that you actually know something about. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I'm so thankful to to be with you today. Uh, but before I, I even move forward, I just want to say how incredibly uh, humbled I am to be in your space and incredibly proud to uh, to know you and have having had connected with you recently I know why our stars aligned and we are <laughs> connected so thank you so so much for this opportunity yes I I unfortunately um, had many uh, experiences with with the gang life I mean from from a very young age um, I started actually and this is one of the stories that I hadn't shared with you because we talked briefly that one you know, when we when we met so so I'll, I'll go back a little bit my actual first encounter uh with gangs or something similar to a gang was uh, as a very very young 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 boy um i attended a, an elementary school in hartford connecticut um and in the north end of hartford connecticut and my my mom who who was uh, into drugs uh and into prostitution and and a number of other uh, things that um, she got into due to her addiction and uh, abuse, domestic violence abuse, mm-hmm. that um, she sustained um, severe um, um, abuse. And uh, I remember um, being one of the only Latino um, families in that community. And at that time, back then, the Latinos and the African-Americans had a, a major cl- conflict with each other. I really still don't know way into my years why that conflict existed, but it did. So I think it had to do, now knowing uh, how how we function as humans a little bit, I think it was just we didn't understand each other. We didn't mm. know. Each, we hadn't talked to each other. So it was merely everyone was following suit. You know, we, we you're of that, you know, race and you're of that color and you're of that community. So therefore we have a conflict. And unfortunately, you know, um, some young, uh, young men bought into it and, and uh, it was the first time I had ever been beaten up as a, as a young boy by a group of boys. And how old remember, were you? How old were I, you when this happened? I remember being extremely young. I have to say, I uh, could have been more than eight years old. Oh, God. And, 
but but I know, you know that that it, you know I had nothing to do with what had happened before, and 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 it was just me walking back from this this the school, uh, at home with my brother. We both got beat up actually, and and I I I remember not understanding why it happened. I was terrified because. You know, I, I, I'm a kid and I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know these people and, and, and they're angry with me for something I don't know. And I knew violence um, from my, my mom and dad. You know, I was uh, abused severely by both my parents at different stages of my life. So I had known violence, which to me I felt was normal because it was my mom doing it to me. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be beaten like this. I'm supposed to be uh, treated this way. So it was normalized to me, but I had never experienced community violence by way of groups, right? And and now I now I had finally experienced it. So it was a very different kind of violence and I didn't know how to process it. So that was actually my first kind of involvement or 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 contact with a group that you would kind of affiliate with a gang, right? And they represented a, a neighborhood in the community. So um, fast forward a few years later, uh, my second interaction, I was in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and um, there was a, a, a gentleman with the, with a gang in New York City who had a conflict with my dad. And uh, my dad was uh, known to um, be very uh, uh, aggressive, angry, uh, but also very macho. And and if he didn't care who you were and what gang you represented, if he felt the slightest bit of disrespect, he would turn violent pretty quickly and aggressively. So I guess he had said something to this guy who was part of a gang that was in that neighborhood. And um, I remember uh, being outside and having him pick me up by my by a jacket I had and uh, slammed me into uh, pay, a payphone, which used to be on the corner by that, by that street. And, you know, he talked to me about my dad and, and a number of things, he took my mm-hmm. jacket. He, but, you know, so, so as you can see from very early age, I had been impacted by that world of gangs, unfortunately. And it led me to um, kind of always in, in, you know, knowing now in the back of my mind, I always, felt like violence was something that was just going to be normal in my life. Um, so that was my, 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 my history as a young person. Uh, eventually, um, due to domestic violence and, and due to abuse and due to neglect, um, I was removed from my mother's care and placed in foster care um, for a number of years. And then um, eventually placed with my dad. And after, after having placed with my dad, then we were removed from my dad and sent back to my mom because of additional abuse. Uh, and eventually I ran away from home and I ended up homeless uh, for a number of years uh, between the ages of a little after 11 or t- no, 12 or so, 13, 14, 15, really going from place to place, um, car to car, bridge to bridge, street to street. Sometimes they just didn't sleep, just walked around uh, aimlessly all night just looking to just do anything to just stay up, stay awake, stay alert. Uh, and that's kind of like where um, my life started to change. Uh, eventually, I, I became a very violent young man. Uh, I succumbed to the mindset of this is my way to survive. I had I had believed that violence was the solution to everything because anytime anyone was angry with me or I did something as a child or for no reason at all, Violence was the solution. So I, I grew up believing that everything I was going to be able to get and everything I was going to be able to solve and every pain that I ever had was going to be resolved through violence. So I started doing that. And it actually, uh, in, in, a, in a very um, dark way, it started to pay off 
in in this sense, in the sense that the more aggressive and violent I got, the more people who were hurt already in pain and involved in that lifestyle looked up to me for being a tough guy. And and so in my mind, I was like, well, if I'm receiving praise, then this must be something right. This must be something. <clears throat> and as I moved through through that through that kind of mindset, um, I eventually uh, ended up stabbing someone uh, at the age of uh, about 15 or so. Um, and I was uh, convicted for that stabbing and sentenced to five years um, because of the, the, the violent nature of the stabbing. And I ended up going to the Meadows, which was a, a jail in um, a prison in, in downtown Hartford, near, near the north end of Hartford. And from there, I went to Manson Correctional Institute in Cheshire, Connecticut, and I spent another about two and a half years there. While I was there, um, I then started to learn about a different set of groups and, and, and different mindsets of, of, of kind of like the gang lifestyle and, and how prison gangs function or prison groups function, uh, different social structures within the prison and how that, that, that kind of moved through the prison. So um, in the prison, it was different where uh, we were fighting, uh, like Hartford would fight Waterbury, Waterbury would fight New Britain, New Haven would fight Bridgeport, et cetera, et cetera. So it was more a community-based kind of war with each other within the within the jail itself. So uh, you know, you immediately connect with the guys that are from Hartford, and they connect. You know, New Haven connects with New Haven, and before you know, you're at odds fighting each other, and it had nothing to do with um, with really hating them. It was all about well, this is what you're, you're expected to do. So my life has been. Um, very much impacted by the group mentality, the gang mentality, and the violence, uh, the addiction to violence that that many people eventually become uh, a part of because they feel that's their only method of survival. And that's where I was. It's amazing. So you left the street, you found the same scenario in prison, and that's just how you learned to navigate. It's so interesting because I had made a comment, <clears throat> excuse me, about why people join gangs and somebody made the comment back to me and they're right. You have no, no knowledge, <laughs> no understanding of, of why people join gangs. And to hear your story, I, I mean, to have experienced such incredible violence at such a young age and just thinking that that's how it was, how would you know any different because you'd never experienced any differently and then needing to, to use that same violence in order to survive. Right. I mean, th there are, there are some things that people can generally um, say contribute to gang involvement, right? So if you look at the telltale signs, right. Or, or the script, right. You would say uh, the feeling uh, the need for power, Right. Or the, the, you want to have power or you want safety protection or um, you just have a tendency to be violent. And again, that can go back to like a story like mine or um, or you're looking for popularity or you're looking to advance your drug network. If you have a drug network, if you're looking to advance anything else that might be illegal. Right. Or you're just looking to to to, to belong. Right. Because everyone else is doing it. So that's all yeah. surface. But behind all of that, there are so many different factors that contribute to that one decision. Not one person, you, I, or anyone listening, 
that has experienced violence at any point woke up or were born saying, I can't wait to feel that. I can't wait to feel violence. It's going to be so great. Like it's, that's just where I'm going. No, no one does that. And no one wakes up in the morning and says, I, you know, I was born and, and, and they put a tag on their, on their crib that this is a future gang memory. That's just not reality. What happens is there's a number of circumstances and a number of, of, of factors that contribute to that decision. It's not an easy decision because unless you're born into like a, 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 a generational gang, you know, gangs that have generational members and, and you have grandparents, uncles, nieces, nephews, then you're born into a gang because I, I can share a story real quick that I almost started that for my own, my own family. Uh, my father wasn't in a gang, but he was abusive and mm-hmm. violent. So, you know, I, I, I attribute my, a lot of my violent tendencies to him and my mom, but neither one of them were in gangs. My mom was a drug addict and did what she did, but neither of them was like, I joined the gangs after I realized that there were people in there that I started to care about that weren't necessarily um, good people. Some of them were good people. Some of them were hurt people. Some of them were confused. Some of them were, were really depressed and, and down and out. Some of them were uh, a, a very small, you know, small number of them were people who were sociopath kind of thinkers mm-hmm. or they just wanted power. They wanted So, so it was a, a mixture of everything, but I never chose, I never said I'm going to be a part of a gang as a kid. So, so I think that when, when people talk about why people join gangs, on the surface, it is, it's clear. But what that one individual had to deal with in order to make that decision, it's, it's, it's a heart-wrenching decision because you also realize uh, immediately that you're no longer in control of yourself. You know, the, the gang leadership, depending on who the, who the leader is, can be extremely cruel and violent to you or extreme, use you in an extreme way to do things that they either are not daring to do themselves mm. or they feel that power will allow them to do. So I think when you join, you, you know, you, you know, who wants to succumb, who wants to submit themselves to a beating, you know, to join, I had to, I had to get beaten up for uh, about three minutes and, and people may be listening. So, oh, well, that's okay. But when you have, when you're being beaten by two or three people for three minutes where, and you can't fight back, you can't raise your hands. You have to keep your hands by your side and they get to punch you in the face and kick you and stomp you and doesn't and you have to survive that. Nobody nobody says when they're a child, I want to oh. do that. But you get to a point, right? You get to a point where you're where where in your mind you're saying, This is love. Like you you actually believe that when you're getting beaten and when you're done and you if you survive, you feel loved. Now, isn't that an incredible wiring of the brain? That, that I experienced, and, and then I had to do it twice because I joined in prison, um, and and that didn't that didn't validate it. So I had to go back when I was in prison and go to a meeting in Hartford, and you know, and 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 join into the circle, go into a circle, which is what they do. They they meet in a circle, and I had to fight two other guys. You know, got my nose bloodied, my face bloody, you know, my ribs bruised. I mean, you know, kicked and whatever. And but at the end of it, I felt a, a sense of achievement. Like, oh, I made it. I, I, I belong. I'm loved now. And, and it was a search for a very different kind of love that, that sometimes drives these kids, right, and these individuals in violent situations to join gangs. So, yes, yeah, so you could be right when you say this is why, but, it, but, it, but on, it, on, its, on the surface. But deeper, uh, there are a number of other factors that contribute to it that Unfortunately, not many people see because by the time that kid is in the game, 
they're so far gone in their mind to believing that that's their that's their path to life that it's very difficult to change them. It's not impossible. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lived example of of the fact that you can change, but it's very difficult. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done to to really find the real love, the love that you that you focus on, which choose love, and the kind of love that I choose to to uh, to distribute and and and, con- and connect people to through peace. That is the one we should have. But until we find that love, it, we, we find other forms of love. And unfortunately, they hurt us more than they help us. That That is really profound because I would never have equated what you just described to love. But then again, I've known love. I've known love from, from my parents. And I think that mm-hmm. you you need to be shown love in order to really know love. And when you, so I made notes and you were saying that, and this is so interesting, you, you join a gang for safety, which, you know, in, and that's, that is love, right? If you love somebody, you want to make them safe and you feel safe when you're loved. And then the need for power, or is that the need for respect to be seen, heard and celebrated? That's that's the love that Choose Love talks about. But the gang love is the need for power. I can equate all of these things. Um, that includes popularity. And then to belong, that everybody is searching for that. And if you don't have the social and emotional, I mean, the essential life skills that you mm-hmm. need to have that nurturing healing love, then you are susceptible to this other kind of love. And the, and the only thing that you've ever known. And I, while you were talking, I put myself in your shoes and I pictured myself walking your journey and I could see myself ending up in the exact same place that you did doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for that, that, um, that perspective, because, um, you know, I feel that, you know, when, when you are um, lacking support and, and then all of a sudden your community provides you an outlet that can't, it's not healthy for you. It's not necessarily a great decision for you. It's not what's going to give you a future um, prospects of success, but you're actually receiving support. You have a bond that your family didn't provide for you, your, your, your blood family didn't provide for you. And then once you're in it, you know, when you love someone, right. Even if we were in a dysfunctional setting, you know, with, with a number of things that took place in leadership that, that had certain ideas and ideologies, et cetera. The fact is that while you're part of that, that system, you fall, you form relationships. You know, the more the more you're in contact with people, the more you form relationships. And even though if those bonds are not healthy for you, the fact is that time and time spent together forms a relationship. You get to know each other and all that. So then that's when the loyalty comes in, because you're not loyal when you first join to everyone in the gang. You don't know them. You don't love them. You don't you don't you don't really care for them. You're joining because personally there's a need that you want and that that's going to fulfill. It's not only until you start driving around with them and hanging out with them and partying with them that you start to realize, okay, you and I connect and you are cool. And then 
like even now, you know, I've, I've been out of the game for a number of years, but I have some lifelong friendships with other guys that have gotten out and ladies that have gotten out and have, have found success in other paths. And, and we care about each other. We're like, you know, we, we, we remember what we went through. We remember what we experienced. We remember why we joined. And, and you know, we are families and people are, are truck drivers and restaurant workers and Peace Center founders and, uh, and, and working. Uh, I remember uh, one of our, our members uh, worked for the uh, Obama Foundation uh, in D.C. I mean, we, we, we all took different paths. Some became actually some are pastors. Some are uh, college um, uh, adjunct professors. I mean, you name it, people turn their lives in different ways, but we, we all we remain connected because we suffered together. We lost friends together. We bled together. We, we cried together. We were uncertain together. And, and, and that's an, an element that is hard to break, but, but you can. So, I, so I, I agree with you that you join for a number of reasons. But, but I think that given the right options and the right understanding of what love is, um, and, and how you give oh, um, that nurturing, caring, that healing love that allows individuals to feel that, um, that being compassionate, that being loving and kind isn't a weakness, that's when you start to live for real. That's when you really start to elevate your consciousness, your compassion, your ability to understand others, and then you start to hold yourself accountable for treating people the way you're now mm-hmm. feeling. Because now, now you're feeling good. Now you're like, wow, this is, you know, I don't have... The pain. I'm not getting mm. beat up. I don't have the stress looking over my shoulder. I'm not running from the police. I'm not running from gunshots. I'm I'm able to sleep a little bit differently. I, you know, all those things contribute to you starting to believe that you have something to lose. But if if you are staying in that environment, then it's almost impossible to break that mindset of, you know, this is this is function. This is how I function, and this is normal. Um, so, 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 and the love that you're getting there is normal. So, yeah, I, 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 I find this very interesting. Even having gone through it myself and having, you know, being where I am, I, I still work with a lot of young people who were part of different subgroups, cultures, and gangs, and sets, and you name it. And I find myself always looking at them as if mm. it were me and, and, and connecting with them, not at my level. Oh, I'm here, I'm the expert, here, I'm the, you know, president of this organization. None of that matters when I'm dealing with a young person who is immersed in that lifestyle. I have to be able to envision, feel, and understand where they are in order for me to really be able to understand what I can do to, to hopefully navigate them to, 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 to seeing things differently. Um, so, yeah, uh, a very, very, very powerful thing. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org. The post-traumatic growth that you have experienced, you can give to them vicariously just by listening to your story. Yeah, I had an opportunity. We have a, a project called the Youth Peace Action Alliance, and uh, it's a, a, a youth-led um, youth leadership development group. And um, they meet um, three times a week. And I was a guest speaker for the first session. And uh, before... 
I spoke, they saw me for two straight weeks. And I believe in serve leadership. Like, you know, if I'm going to lead this organization, I have to be willing to serve even even the people that work for me or, and the kids that come there. So I, I'm sweeping and mopping and taking boxes out and carrying stuff and moving donated clothes everywhere and all that stuff. And I'm mopping. I mean, I'm cleaning the tables because of COVID and I'm, I'm make, wiping everything down. So this, and they're watching me for two straight weeks. Not one of them knew I was the president <laughs> and CEO of the Chief Center. So they want, you know, I'm just doing my thing, excuse me, and walking and doing whatever. So when they finally do, they were almost all of them kind of took a step back. Like, oh, that's so. So it was interesting because until then, they didn't have many questions for me. <laughs> but once once I, I turned the switch on and started talking to them about my story and how I got to be the president and CEO of the Peace Center, but also let them know that I'm no better than you. I just happen to have more experience in life than you. So therefore, I'm in a different place. But you can avoid my pitfalls if you start now. Don't wait till don't wait till start when I started. Start now and you can outpace me and be at a better place than I am in my life at this point. And and it was interesting because they all are saying, Wow, like you went through all of that and here you are sweeping and, and dusting when you can say, I made it. I am the Peace Center founder. I, I can kick back and, and relax and everything is gonna be fine. I don't see it that way. I see I see the human condition and the human you know, always something you need to pay attention to. Human suffering uh, knows no bounds. It doesn't escape certain homes. Mm-hmm. So until until young people until young people can start to understand how to better love themselves, mm-hmm. better love their brother and sister, better love their community at an early age, kind of what's similar to what you do, they're going to keep making mistakes. And they're going to keep making mistakes sometimes even when they know love because they might fall in love with a person that's not ready to love them mm-hmm. the right way. And, and, and it's just a number of things, but we got to yeah. stay persistent and, and, and keep doing that. So yeah, when they hear the story there, they, they connect with me immediately. I see them now and they're like, how you doing, sir? How you doing, mister? Or, 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 my, nick, or my nickname will call Smurf. My nickname is Smurf. So they're like, Hey Smurf, you know, <laughs> how did you get different. that nickname? Well, um, it, it was, it started out in a bad, it started off in a bad way. Um, my, uh, as I mentioned before, my mom, uh, was into drugs and, and prostitution and things like that. So she, she never really paid too much attention to us. So we had a lot of hand-me-down clothes and all that. So I had, uh, uh two pairs of jeans, um, and, uh, I think three pairs of shirts or something like that, or three shirts. Um, and they were blue in color. And I was, um, at the time just starting middle school, um, in, in, uh, at Cork Middle School in Hartford. And I was always a little bit smelly um stinky because i wasn't really cared for well so the kids were making fun of me bullying me and and calling you know hot, hot, you know they would see me come down the hall always dressed almost in the same clothes and me and my brother both got it pretty good and they they'd always be like la 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 look at the smirk ha 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 making fun of me and all that stuff you know just you know bullying and trying to tease me um and and that's how i got the nickname smurf but then um i fought a guy and again, this was this was my mindset. One guy was was teasing me, bullying me, and um, unfortunately, in, at that point, there was a space in the in the building where you can go fight if you wanted to. It was in the basement level of the school. So he, me and him, he and I went downstairs and I fought and I beat him. And when I beat him, everybody was like, "Yeah, yeah," you know. So again, once again, it, it fed my 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 mindset that I was okay with that. So after I won, now. I was I was hefty smurf. I was a tough one. I was the muscle bound hefty smurf, and I was fighting in school all the time. And I belonged to, which I think is such a disservice to the kids in the school. And I, I know better now, but 
our the school was divided into colored colored corridors, and each color represented one thing, whatever. I was in um, in a corridor that represented special education, so everyone in the building knew the color meant you were special ed. So we were bullied because uh, we weren't right. special ed as well. So so for me, um, you know, being in that colored hallway meant that another level of teasing and bullying that I had to defend. And the only way I knew how to defend, I didn't have coping skills, you know, uh, social, emotional learning skills, uh, emotional intelligence, all that stuff that I know now. I didn't have any of that. All I knew was I could throw my hands. And if you got me to a point where I I, I wasn't confident enough, I was going to punch you or fight you. And and then that was going to be how I avoided dealing with my reality, which at at that age, I really didn't have the skills to do so. And I didn't have the system the social workers, the counselors, mental health therapists to help me deal with it. So I dealt with it with my hands. And after a while, uh, I became popular with the name. Um, and now it's interesting because now that I know that they're little blue creatures, yeah, right? They're little smurfs, blue right. people. And, 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 yeah, right. And they live under, um, um, uh, what is it, uh, uh, mushrooms in their village. <laughs> and they're sweet. And the Papa Smurf, the Papa Smurf is the one that's always looked up to. And, and they all help each other fight different, um, different threats in mm-hmm. a peaceful way and they're all happy and you know and you know what it makes me feel good to be smirk now I'm, i thank them because i built i i my actually my mindset believes that uh perhaps my path was meant to be somebody who was kind and and loving i don't live in a mushroom which is fine which is good <laughs> but um but i definitely appreciate the kindness that i see smurfs um represent so it's kind of fitting now but that's I see how I got that. Okay, I was trying to determine whether I was going to call you the nickname or not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you okay. Um, you know what was what really stood out to me the first time after Jesse's murder, and I had written my book, Nurturing Healing Love. I was uh, invited to go up to a prison in Massachusetts and speak with prisoners about the book. Now. I've, mm-hmm. I'd never had any interaction with uh, prisoners and these were all male. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going up to talk about a book called nurturing healing love. And in my mind, I was thinking these guys aren't going to read a book called nurturing healing love. I mean, there's no way that that's going to happen. I, I don't, I will definitely go up and, and I'm supposed to share this message with everyone. Um, and they definitely need it, but they're not going to read the book. So I, I went up and it was incredible to me, Iran, that every single man that was offered the opportunity to read the book and meet with me had read the book. And not only that, they had highlighted it, dog-eared it, underlined it. Some of them even had uh, pages of paper stuck in there where they had rewritten passages and, and, they had written down questions that they wanted to ask me. And the takeaway for me after spending a couple of hours with them was that, you know, they shared with me all they ever knew was anger, hatred, and resentment. You hurt me, they they told me, and I'm going to hurt you and everybody that you care about. And reading yeah. about a different way and learning about a different way, even the concept of having the ability to choose a different path, choose love was like, I I saw it Mm -hmm. on their faces and everything they said, it was, it was just mind boggling to them. They, they'd never even been given this 
other choice. They didn't know there was a choice. And as you said, nobody sets out to go down this path and I'm going to be violent. I'm going to be beaten up and I'm going to kill people and I'm going to wind up in prison. (laughs) Nobody wants that. And, and when, even, even after having gone down that path and being presented with a different choice, they wanted to choose love uh, to the point where they, they, and then it was, it was interesting because at the end, the warden said, all right, those of you who want your book signed by Scarlett line up and you can, you can get your book signed. And I, and I'm thinking in my mind, they're not, they don't care about signed books. You know, they're, they're felons. <laughs> they don't, I mean, nobody's going to line up to have their book signed. They all lined up and then as they came Mm -hmm. through and this is the reason that we created this bookmark that i give out they said um hey can you get us something that has jesse's face on it and his chalkboard message that he wrote of nurturing healing love they couldn't believe that a six-year-old little boy could have the wisdom to write that down and then the formula so that we can remember jesse's courage and that we have that courage to choose love. And it was like, they were telling me what they needed. And I was, I told my mom, she's the one that designed the bookmark and, and now we give it out. But it, I, I learned so much that day. I I was astonished. And I even asked them to, to become ambassadors for the choose love movement. I said, you, you, this is exactly, um, the kind of, you know, awareness that I wanted to create and you all can help me spread it. And the, the, uh, the guy from the BBC that was there, he was filming a documentary at the time. And this is part of that documentary called surviving Sandy hook. He didn't believe that, you know, those guys (laughs) could, would within two hours want to make that choice to choose love. And they, they really just thought right. they were giving lip service. And he went back a couple months later and he re-interviewed the ones that were the most outspoken. And he was like, you guys, you guys just nothing in your life changed. You went back to your prison cell. And, and so I'm just wondering, you said a lot of things that day. You, you wanted to make a commitment to choosing love here <laughs> with, with your experience in your lives. Cause a lot of them talked about, you know, similar experiences to yours. And, um, all of them said, yes, yes. Yeah. We, we, why wouldn't we want to choose love? We didn't know that that was an option. And now that we do, yeah, we want to do that. So it was really incredible. Right. Right. Well, I think, you know, thank you for sharing that. I think that it's, you know, it's, it's really important for, especially now, just, just think about where we are as, as a human kind, uh, mankind in, in our world today. Um, I mean, there, there's some wonderful, amazing things happening that are good. Uh, but obviously the general, um, and general streams of information are going to feed you ugliness and bitterness and rage and all that stuff. There are so many people that are hurting, but but when you when you go into a prison and and you take your time out and and again I, I know because I was I was in prison. So if you come in and you're offering me not only some time away from my room, my cell, my my cage to engage with you and hear about your honest, the honest impact of pain in your life. 
what that does for someone who's incarcerated as, as I was, it, it gives you the, 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 the permission to then expose yourself to what your pain is. And, and many times, you know, these guys have to have a facade. I, I, I remember I started a letter writing program for teens when I was in federal prison. And my goal in writing that, um, writing those letters was to share with the young people in the community that I knew how much, how lonely I was, how um, depressed I was, how, um, how much I missed my, my daughter at the time. Cause you know, I had a daughter at the time I still do, but I, you know, she was little, how much I missed her, how much I hated the food, how much, how much um, I regretted, you know, what I was involved in, how much, um, fear there was not only of, 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 you know, being killed, you know, by another inmate and you have to always be on guard, you know, you, you don't sleep the same. And then, you know, the, the, the actual, um, corrections officers, sometimes they're human. They come into the, to, to the unit and if they had a bad day, you're going to pay for it, you know, in whatever way they feel yeah. is appropriate. So, so there was a lot of, there were a lot of realities that I was sharing with these kids, you know, via letters, because I wanted people to hear what, initially was and what the suffering is so I, I think that many people underestimate the the the, the men and the men and women who were incarcerated and and the fact that that something led them there and it doesn't make them heartless and some some very small incidents there are some people who are extremely violent and and, and for whatever reason they have a certain level of of, of inability uh, they have an inability to feel for others and all that but the general group has suffered through something that made them go there so at some point i think that many of these guys in and ladies in, in the prison system you know realize that they made mistakes but they also don't don't feel like they want to be there anymore they 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 don't feel they don't feel like they're um they're no they're no more deserving of an opportunity than anyone else again it, it's a matter of, of habit forming things that hinder you, hurt you, uh, responding to aggressions and aggressors and stress and trauma in, in a way that got you along for a large part of your life. And eventually you become someone who learns how to navigate the prison system. And even though you suffer and you're lonely and all that stuff, you, le you learn to realize that that's part of your reality. You accept some of it as being it, but it doesn't mean you don't want to change and learn and grow. Um, and, and, and you being able to go in there and talk with them about choosing love gives them another angle another 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 vantage point to see things very differently and 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 make a conscious decision to be better because if they have children um you know we we i believe most of us when we have a child want the best for them we want yeah. them to be healthy and safe and and i remember you know when i was in the gang and my daughter was born um i dressed her up in the gang colors mm. i i I was talking earlier about how I almost started this whole coach, this whole family generational thing with my kids. Mm. You know, I, I put her in, in, in the colors of the gang and I would drive her around to all, all the gang spots and, and, and say, hey, my daughter, what's going on? My daughter was born. Hey, she is. And they'd be like, oh, look at her wearing her bandana. Look at her wearing the colors. That's right. And and it was I was proud because my daughter was wearing the colors and all that stuff. And and you don't you don't realize the danger. You don't realize, oh, my gosh, you know, I just. I'm just starting something that's going to catapult her into a life that she didn't choose. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, put her life at risk because at that time you couldn't wear certain colors in certain neighborhoods because you'd be shot or killed or run over or beaten up. And, and you know, as she gets older, 
you know, she decides, oh, I'm going to wear these colors because my daddy said it's cool. You know, I'm I'm subjecting her to to violence and uh, forms of suffering that were of my doing. And you know, luckily, you know, God bless and 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 the stars aligned, and I was able to to make the change and 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 worked hard at at being different. So she never really ended up becoming a statistic or joining a gangs or gang or anything like that. But I did I did put her at risk. She did get assaulted by uh, a member of another gang when she was a child she did you know my car did get shot at while she was in the car oh my and you know, my windows in my house were shot out while she was sleeping in her crib i mean so it was all part of like that 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 world that i was in you know and, and it's so hard to to get out of that mindset so when they're in when they're in prison and you come in and you say choose love and they have a pause or reprieve from from the craziness of their lives on the street and you're coming in and they're, they feel emboldened and, and, and confident and, 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 and ready to talk or be involved with something that brings them calm and peace. They're looking for that. They want that. We all want that. I, yeah. I, I always say that, you know, the, 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 when you look at someone that's sleeping, whether it's a child or a human being and they have a sound sleep, right? It is one of the most peaceful things that you can look at. And, and the reason why it is, is because the person has come into a state where they are no longer worried or concerned about anything. They're just sleeping. They're just resting. They're, they're, they're in a space where they feel they felt safe enough to fall asleep. Right. And, and all of us want to be able to do that. We all want to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to get a good night's sleep because I feel safe mm. because I feel um, optimistic. I have hope. Right? I have resources and opportunity and, 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 and I have um, um, choices that I can make and I have the wherewithal to know what those choices are. I'm doing things correctly. I mean, when you are involved in, in that other lifestyle, although you're being celebrated and honored for fighting and whatever, your, 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 your sleep pattern and, and all, the, all the things that you deal with on the regular basis, you deteriorate so quickly. Um, well, because and, you're operating out of fear. Yeah, you are, well, not just out of fear. You're up. You you also are operating um, out of the desire to survive. Yeah, you know, what I mean? like like right. this, this is my survival. Like you know, I I, I have to uh, do all of this to survive being in an even worse situation. Um, you know, last uh, two weeks ago, two three weeks ago, we had we had a community day uh, at the peace center for um, families who were struggling with food insecurity. And the displaced population, uh, and most people will say homeless, but I say displaced. And um, uh, one of my team members asked one of the women who was coming to um, get some clothes uh, for the winter because she sleeps under, um, she sleeps between two parks. And um, well, my staff member um, didn't realize, and, and, and you know, was a little bit just kind of like her not understanding it completely, said, thinking that she lived in a homeless shelter, asked her, yeah, yeah, we, we can. If you can't carry all this, we can bring it to you. Where do you live? And she thought she, she you know, she thought she was going to get the answer of in a foster in a, in a shelter. The the homeless woman said, "Well, I live between this park, this park and this park." And and you know, my staff member was like, "Oh my!" Like you know, uh, like a little embarrassed. And then, but the woman said, "No, I, you know, don't worry about it. it, it it's it's a it's a you know honest mistake." Uh, and then, but then she got okay with um with my or my team member, and shared with her. That you know, her her worst fear is being raped every night under the bridge or in the park, and and that was her main concern. So she carried you know 
a blade with her and other things. And she, she put a, a bunch of layers so she couldn't be attacked. Who wants to live like that? Who, who, who wants that daily experience, right? That daily trauma, that daily uncertainty. But if you see that person in prison, you're saying, oh, you know, they're a bad person. They, they, you know, they, they, they committed a crime or they're, you know, they, they don't want anything better. Clearly, that's not the case with this person. If she could have it better and somehow whatever circumstances led her to being homeless and being at risk like that, something went awry somewhere. Yes. And and some some at some point at some point there wasn't an, enough intervention or enough love in that person's life or that person didn't know how to love themselves enough to be able to make the better decisions that were in their best interest. And I again, I know that really well. I didn't learn to love myself for a long time and I sabotaged so many things. And so that's why, as I said earlier, when I mentioned to the young people, start now because I started so late. Um, I'm glad of, I'm proud to be where I am, but I started so late and I could have I could have reduced my level of suffering had I learned love earlier. And how do you learn love, Iran? I mean, how do you rise above all the pain and and hurt and and blame? I mean, you could so easily have lived your life blaming your mom and your dad for creating this environment and 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 not and not giving you love like they should have and the shame that you felt from the things that you had to do to survive and then the and then the guilt after having done them. I mean, how how do you rise above that and what can we do to facilitate that for our young people? Well, I would say that it's a it's definitely a long process. Um, in my personal experience after going through what I went through. But if I could, if I could lay it out in, in, in a simpler form without getting into a number of stories and, and things of that nature, first thing is being made aware that your world is not the only one that exists. Like, like your current situation and your current outlook on your world, your space, where where you, where you frequent, what you do, and where you hang out, isn't the only option in your life. Mm-hmm. By having someone give me an opportunity to see a different world, a different place, a different set of people, meeting new people, I was able to open my, my mind to other possibilities. So that's one. Open, op- being able to have people's minds opened up to other possibilities similar to what you did with choose love at the prison mm-hmm. number two number two is having someone be able to identify your strengths what are the things despite all the the ugliness you you believe about yourself despite all the anger that you have despite everything that you have done that's wrong somebody has to be willing to say okay what skills what assets did you learn by that experience? And how can we maximize that in a, in a more peaceful, positive, loving way, right? That's two. Three is seeking out and having someone provide you the, the support systems that you need via mental health, counseling. Because once I, once I started to see a counselor for a stress and impulse disorder due to my violence and things of that nature, I started to believe in forgiveness. Mm. And... Because of that, I was able to forgive my mom and my father and, and others for hurting me. But I was also able to forgive myself mm. for hurting me. And I think that those three combined mm. allow you to be in a healthier space to, to then make better decisions. Because you're not burdened with the constant reminder of your failures or the constant reminders of the people that failed you. 
you are now focused on what's possible. And I think that that's the easiest way to describe it. That's and that's exactly what you do through the Peace Center in Hartford, Connecticut. That th- those three things. I mean, you that's how you live your life. I, I I'll never forget because I completely identify with this. When we were talking war, you were saying, you know, you drive along and you see someone in need and you can do nothing but pull over yeah. and help that person. And I just I loved that because that is us that you're such a special person. Thank you so much. I, you know, both you and I uh, unfortunately know the devastation of violence and what can it can do in a moment in mm-hmm. our lives. So we both realize that we needed help. Had had we not received that help, we probably would have turned a different space. And in, in your case, I know that you had the writings from from your from your, mm-hmm. your son that really kind of opened your eyes. But there were other people, other things that were present that also contributed to you being able to find balance and move forward, similar to me. So I see my intervention when I see someone in need as that that interruption that they might need at that moment to help save their lives or help them change their course. So to me, that's what it's about. It's 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 really that about all that. Because I wished when I was younger and I was homeless and I was sleeping under a bridge or in a car that somebody would have pulled over and said, young man, here's a here's a way to heal yourself. Here's a way to find choose love. Here's a way to to determine your 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 the path to your life. And it didn't happen until much later. So I went through way too much way too early uh, I overcame mm-hmm. but um, I, we we need to do the very best that we can to prevent people from suffering uh, at a much earlier stage so they don't end up being the adults we in prison absolutely and and the thing is we can do that it's possible yes. so I, yeah. I I'm just so uh, grateful for you and and everything that you do. I mean, you are the real deal. You have lived it. You've been there. You've risen above. So people can look at you in the same situation and know that they can do it too. And that is vicarious post-traumatic growth that you give. And it is such a gift to your community and the world. And I'm just, I feel very blessed to have had this conversation with you today. And I know that you are going this afternoon. You're probably going to be uh, putting on your suit right after this call and then heading uh, on your way to be inducted into the Connecticut Hall of Change that is that is honoring you this afternoon for your contribution to society. Yeah, I um, as I mentioned in, in before uh, when we first started talking, it's, it's one of those surreal moments um, that I didn't um, anticipate or, or strive to have happen. But yeah, this afternoon, um, the Hall of Change in, uh, induction ceremony will take place um, and um, it'll be at the old Newgate prison. Um, and it is incredible because the purpose of the Hall of Change is to change the narrative about exactly what you said earlier. Uh, people who are incarcerated can change or make an impact in their community. So 
uh, today they'll be uh, unveiling a plaque with uh, my story, my uh, and and just kind of my journey to where I am today as part of a group of of, uh, of what they call the Great Eight. So eight of us will be uh, enshrined kind of into this Hall of Fame, um, you know, um, and Hall of Change. I mean, and and uh, and I think it's just it's just one of those things that I never anticipated happening. I, I I'm hoping um, personally that as people visit uh, that museum and old Newgate prison, which tells the stories of that prison for many years ago and, and et cetera, that they see the real human stories of people who overcame and that they get inspired to help people to not end up in the prison system or they, or they give more opportunities to the formerly incarcerated um, to help them land on their feet and, and make the world a better place. So uh, I'm truly honored for, for, for the award and recognition. I just still find it very um, surreal that um, my I'll, I'll be permanently kind of enshrined into a museum. And, and uh, I, I just know that, that it fuels my fire to continue to work because uh, I want others to be on that wall as well. Well, you are, you. it's so well-deserved and you, I know you just have dedicated your life to inspire and motivate other others to do better, to be better. You inspire and motivate me. And I just want to thank you from the top to the bottom of my heart for everything that you do every single day to effect change. Cause I know that that's that's not easy. It's constant effort, but it's, it's rewarding and all the nurturing, healing, love you give out, you get back, but still, um, it's, it's a lot of work and it's making a difference. You're making the world a better place. So thank you so much for everything that you do. I hope that everyone goes on the center, the peace center of Connecticut in Hartford's website and, donates and help support your efforts because you are really making a difference. You're a bright light in the world and thank you. You, you definitely choose love. And I, 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 I am so grateful for you. Thanks for joining us today. I ran any, any last, thank any last words me. of wisdom for us? Well, at first, I just want to say thank you so much for, for having me today. It's been awesome to take a, a trip down, memory lane with you, but also more importantly, to spread the message of love to your listeners um, and for you and I just to connect and, 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 and really kind of reflect on the power of love and the importance of giving love. So to all your listeners, um, please, if, if you'd like to support the Peace Center, it's uh, www.peacecenterofct.org. Uh, any contribution would be uh, appreciated. It goes directly to our programs and services for our community across the state of Connecticut. Uh, I'm really, truly honored to um, to be with you today, um, and I look forward to uh, to working together as we uh, move forward. So I'll be in touch to uh, hopefully have you come in and, and, and work with our young people on choosing love. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm here for you. Anything that you need, I'm here to uh, to love and to serve. And thank you all. Thank you, Choose Love audience, everybody who's listening. Thank you for being open and receptive to the message and for helping us spread awareness of the important work that we do. And of course, most importantly, for choosing love in your own life. So until next time, make it a great day.